Parshas Chukas, Chof Ches Tzivim. The Shabbos also the Shchedish Tammuz, all of the Shchedish. And Kedarke B'Kedish, Mirza Hashem. Tomorrow evening, Abal Leino Leteva. We hope to have a group of women joining us at the Ohel of the Rebbe for our Arab Shkedish visit to the Ayel. Uh, as we know that the prayers of the women are very, very precious to Hashem. And we anticipate that this time the Arab Shkedish gathering at the Ayel will once and for all break through all the different barriers that are being withheld. Pashas Chukas has many different stories. The Pasha itself spans for 40 years. Beginning with the Din, the Chukim, of the Paraduma, and it continues on. Now the din of Paraduma took place. The mother says, "Masachet Zgitin on a Shchedish Nissen." In the beginning of the forty years, before the story of the Miraglim, before the story of Kerach, the Pasha continues. It tells us about the Petira of Miriam and Tells us about the passing of Aaron Akayin. Mesmerizing stories. And the story that's the most touching that always remain the hardest to grasp. The story of story of Memriva of the Eden come to Miriam's passing and the well, the stone stops giving out water now what? the stone went back into its hole went back into the wall that was in and it couldn't be found and Hashem says take the staff and speak to the stone. And also, as we wrote today's text, we mentioned that tonight is Chav Ches Sivan. Should we call cells in the fridge? Chav Ches Sivan, in essence, should probably be one of the highest and greatest Yom Tevim we have in the Babich. Chavchas Sivan is basically swept under the carpet 
in comparison, it's paled in comparison to the actual greatness. of the miracle oh no that we as Chassidim We as Chassidim merited perhaps though, just perhaps it would be proper to note Although it's not written up as the same lotion as you'd base Tammuz, we don't have the same expressions, same Yisrael Yechuna. We don't have letters from the Rebbe saying how miraculous this day was. Chav Chesivin marks 70 years now. That the Rebbe, the Rebbetson arrived in America 70 years ago. The story of the Rebbe's travel out of Europe, out of war-torn Europe, is not something that can be swept under a carpet. It's a story that was very, very, very severe. And at points... When the Rebbe had gone himself to apply for a visa, and at the same time they applied for a special visa for the Rebbe here in America. And since there were discrepancies between the two, namely that the Rebbe applied for the visa, and he wrote... He wrote that he was an engineer, an electrical engineer, which in essence was a very exciting thing to bring into America. They needed the engineer, they needed the, the person, the laborer, they needed the person that could bring Parnosa. They didn't want to bring in people. that would live off the fat of the land, they wanted people to work. So when an engineer, an electrical engineer, applies for a visa, it would be very exciting. But when they applied here in America for the Rebbe's visa, and they wrote that he was part of the royal family of the Friedrich Rebbe who had already received visas, they wrote that he was a great Torah scholar. And this discrepancy gave the um, certain consulates 
the right to deny a visa. Towards the end, the Rebbe asked that his visa request be sent to Marseille. Although he wasn't living in Marseille, it was quite far away from where he was. The Rebbe asked that it be sent to Marseille. It turned out that I believe he was a niece at the time. And it was miraculous because the, the one that was running the embassy in Nice... was a terrible anti-Semit but he declined many 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 people in Marseille on the other hand the Rebbe was immediately given his visa technically miracle stops there the Rebbe had a visa he had a visa, he can come to America, what's the problem? The miracle didn't stop there, not by a long shot. The only port they can catch a boat out of was Lisbon, Portugal. You couldn't just walk through Portugal, you needed a visa. It wasn't a visa visa, it was a transit visa because you're going through. It was a visa nonetheless. The Friedrich Rebbe himself secured that transit visa for them. They got through Portugal. They got there in time. The tickets they were holding for the boat, for the ship, which was the last ship going to America. In the war, he told us it's the last ship, it's the last ship, you don't play games. As they were about to board, they received a telegram from the Friedrich Rebbe. Shum Eifen, do not board that ship. <laughs> him being told the last ship, him being told... But, Shver, Father, the Rebbe, tells them to do something, obviously they're not going to play games. They didn't board the ship, and lo and behold, as the ship traveled towards America, it was captured by the Italians, and they were held on an island prisoners until after the war. Somehow, somewhere, this other last, new last ship showed up, and they secured passage for this ship, and it got to a point where in the middle of the waters they had to stop, because the captain said we're in trouble, there's submarines coming, German submarines, and they were either a submarine could have shot them out of water, or a plane could have shot them out of the water, they were, it's like kind of the flushes from all sides. They arrived at the shore of New York. Friedrich Rebbe was not well. He sent representation. 
Shmuel Levitin, Rabbi Jacobson, Rabbi Simpson. He sent a delegation to go meet his son-in-law and his daughter. Must have been very not well, because it was quite a while he hadn't seen them. And obviously he was quite concerned. We see in Apasha Moshe Rabbeinu is referred to as a Raya Neman, a true shepherd. He took the Jews out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea. Sinai. They got the Tera. Now, 40 years in the Midbar, they showed there was mud, there was water, there was slug. He was a good leader. He was getting paid for it. Not money. But he was the leader. How much more COVID can a person ask for? The head of Claudius Sol, 600,000 strong. Yeah, it came with a lot of problems. <laughs> the president of Israel and the president of America were discussing who has a harder job. The president of Israel said, of course my job is harder than the president of America. said, Meshiga, I have 30 times the people that you have in your country, I have in my country. I'm a president of 90 million people. What do you have, 30 million, 3 million people? He said, yeah. You're the president of 90 million people. I'm the president of a 3 million presidents. comes to Jews, everybody has a day. Everybody has what to say. So, so the Mishra felt the covet. He didn't need the covet, but he was a Raya Neman. And we see in this week's Pasha a typical example of it. Moshe Rabbeinu was very perturbed that the Eden did not have water there Miriam had dried up because Miriam passed away we needed water this is a basic staple this is not it says towards the end of the Pasha where they come to complain to Moshe and they tell Moshe Ay, 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 we gotta find where it is now. Before they send the Meraglam out, they complain again to Mesha now. Actually, it should be right for the water. For our little snake. Ay, vey. Okay, we don't find the Pasuk. They complain how the land is lacking and it doesn't have this, it doesn't have that. Where are you taking us to already? Oh, 
Mitzrayim. Why did you take us up from Mitzrayim? To bring us to this terrible place. <laughs> what an ironic sentence this is. To complain how they don't have the pomegranate, the figs, the grapevines. Bus felt this is. Not a place for agriculture. They're in the middle of the midbar here. What are you complaining about? Luxuries here? A guy's going to come to the door and say, I'm not going to tell you, I haven't got any bread and water to eat. He's going to tell you, I haven't had rib steak in two days. Can you please make sure I have rib steak? Can you give me money for rib steak? It's the chaluxis. What are they complaining about? No. Farshim, tell us, look at the Pasuk and you'll see. They come and they say to him, Loi. And there's a line. Stop. That's not what we need. We don't need to grow anything here in the desert. We lived, we survived with the basics. We were taught to survive with basics. We don't have to have luxuries here. But there's no water to drink either. That's absurd. And this was a tremendous pain for Mesha to see. That his shepherd, his sheep, his flock, his Yidin don't have water to drink. It's not anything, they're not asking for anything outlandish. They're asking for a simple thing like water. So what does Mesha do? God tells him, Take the staff and go speak to the rock. The staff? When it says Hamata, it must mean a famous stick. A famous staff. Which famous staff did he have to take to go speak to the stick, to speak to the stone? The Farshim said, Rashi says in the spot, Ha-mata, which mata was this? Mata Aaron. Aaron's staff. What was so special about Aaron's staff? Last week's Pasha, we told the story. We were told of a happening, not a story. Stratera is not a story. Aaron Akayin was to represent all his shavit. And therefore, all the Shvatim put in a staff and see whose staff is more holy. And by this, they'll see who's the holiest of the people. Because Kahas was, compl- um, was complaining about the Aaron. So Aaron's staff was put in the middle, not on the outside where it would look like maybe the sun is better or the water was better, the rain was better. Right in the middle. And it sprouted, we spoke last week, it sprouted the shkedim, and it flowered, and everything was amazing. Says the Ebishter, Kaches Hamate. You know, they told the story about a zillion times. The uh, three prisoners were caught. They were escaping prison. And the uh, fir- they were told, the guard says, listen, it's a liberal prison. Punishment for escaping is three lashes. But because we're a liberal prison, you can put whatever you want in the back. We have to uh, work with you. Kumtz again, the first one, said, okay, Megillah what do you want in your back? 
says, put oil on my back. And they smear him with oil, and he says, don't be, don't be cheap, don't jalava, put on the oil. Put it on. They put on the oil. And he gives one zet. And the guy screams, and the second zet, he screams even louder. And the third zet, and finally the guy passes out from the pain. They put a shirt back on him, and they put him in a cell. Second guy was Jones. Okay, Jones, what do you want in your back? He says, nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Hey, I'm taking my shirt off, and go ahead. Jones is a big, heavy-set fella. But the whip is a whip. And the guy knew that this guy's being a wise guy. He gave it all his might, a zet. Jones says, that's one. Give a second zet. Even harder. That's two. Finally, the guy wound up, and he gave it all his might, a third zet. And he says, that's three. Give me my shirt. Couldn't believe it. And they asked Rabinowitz, No, Rabinowitz, what do you want on your back? I want Jones. Take the staff. The staff that sprouted Gaden just a week before. Take this staff. Let the staff stick of Aaron talk to the stone. The stick of Aaron should tell the stone. Slushne, listen to me. Oye, escuchame. Tishma. Herna. I'm a staff. A dried piece of wood. I can't grow anything anymore. I might not even have come from a tree that had fruits. I'm just a piece of wood. But God said, perform a miracle, so I sprouted. I gave out Shkaden with flowers, with everything, the whole nine yards. I made a Kiddush Hashem. Listen to me, Mr. Stone. Davai. Damnipid. Give me the water and produce the same Kiddush Hashem, the same miracle that I just did. Just like I did a Kiddush Hashem by sprouting, you do a Kiddush Hashem by giving out water. So, Kaches HaSnamata had a very powerful, had a very, very powerful message that the Mata itself should speak to the seller. Moshe doesn't go the route. Moshe immediately takes the cellar. He hits the stone twice. Let us take the word cellar. Samach Lamid Ayin. When you want to write the word Samach, it's Samach Mem Chof. Lamid is Lamid Mem Dalid. Ayin is Ayin Yud Nun. Mesha hits the Stella twice. He takes away, with the first time, the first letter of the word, and the second time, the last letter of the word. What remains? Mem, Mem, Yud, the letters of Mayim. 
and therefore he was able to bring out from this cellar water, because Al-Pikabali, he brought this out. But we have a different problem here. How many times, how many times have you been um, one-upped? One-upped means that someone said, ah, you see, he could do it, why couldn't you? You see, he did that, 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 he lifted that up, why can't you? He ran that mile, why can't you? He does the exit, he's losing the weight, why can't you? Happens on a daily basis to everybody. Meish Rabbeinu was a Raya Neman. And as a true shepherd was extremely concerned with the Eden. What was he extremely concerned now with the Eden? He knew the Eden had a terrible adversary known as the Sultan. And the Sultan... Huh? Oops. And the Sultan, as an adversary, always saw to it to put the Eden in a bad light. What would happen here? The Sultan was concerned. That if the Yidden would do an Avera, then the Avishta would use would use the Sela, the Sultan actually would use the Sela. against the Eden. How? Because if the seller would listen to God and do something so miraculous like giving out water which is totally not its nature a stone doesn't give water if the seller would give out water every time God forbid A yid is brought to justice. A yid is brought before the Abishnah for doing an Avera and say an excuse. This happened, that happened. The Sultan would come running and say, Hey, what kind of excuse do you possibly have? Madak the seller, the rock. Can't walk, can't talk, can't eat, can't drink, can't anything. But he listened and did a kiddush Hashem and listened to God's instructions to the T. You, who's a medaber, who has a mind to think, a mouth to talk, a language, <coughs> you couldn't manage to keep to the, to the proper protocol. Moshe therefore is concerned that by the stone doing this Kiddush Hashem it will become detrimental to the Yidin's Mishpat so therefore Moshe hit the stone and accepted upon himself the punishment for it 
rather than Chasa Shalom, the Yidin should suffer. In the beginning of the Nesiyas, there was a Yid that was being, there was concerned he was being drafted to the army to the Korean War. And he secured a Yechidist to go into the Rebbe. And he went into the Rebbe, and he told the Rebbe, he needs a bracha. He doesn't want to go to the army. The Rebbe gave him a general bracha. He came out, he was very disheartened. He spoke to his friend, this and to that one. And they were under the opinion, they were, under the, they were in, the, in the opinion, under the uh, thought, the train of thought, perhaps the Rebbe doesn't understand Hashem, the severity of the issue. Perhaps the Rebbe doesn't understand how bad the situation is of you getting drafted into the army. You better go back to the Rebbe and tell him. And so he prepares himself all the paperwork that he's going to go to the uh, draft board with. And he comes to the... Hey! And he comes into the Yechidus again. He gets in a second time. And the Rebbe sees something's wrong with this guy. I already gave him a bracha. And if I state this... So the Rebbe says, tell me, uh, ever have any back problems? The guy says, yes, I did. And he takes out the file to show the Rebbe the doctor's report on his back. Did you ever have high blood pressure? He says, I have high blood pressure. Uh-huh. Did you ever have this disease, that disease? The guy's got proof for everything. So he saw the Rebbe's with the system. The Rebbe understands already how you have to go about this, how you have to fool the draft board and get through things. So Rebbe says to him, you have any problem with your teeth? The guy says, no. Rebbe says, forget everything else. Tell them about your teeth. The guy, guy never had a cavity. He never had a filling. He's going to say, I have a problem with my teeth. They'll take one look at his mouth and they'll throw him into jail. That's the advice that Rebbe gives him. Alright, listen. He tried. He comes to the draft board and he starts his medical issues. I have my back problems. Shows them the report. They send him to one doctor. He's clear. I have with this problem, they check him. You're clear, you're clear, you're clear. Guy is about to stamp him that he's being drafted. And he screams, my teeth! You realize there's no other choice but say what the Rebbe said. My teeth! I can take a shame, my teeth. The guy got very upset with him. I got very angry. And he says to him, you think you could just pull this off like that? You think you could just tell us your teeth? We have dentists. 
Amen. Go down the hall to the dentist and we usually make a bracha. Made a bracha? Just make sure your campers make brachas out loud. I make them. I should also start. Mm-hmm. And turn off the light in the front. And they send him into the dentist. He comes into the dentist. The dentist is a real antisemit. He takes one look at the guy and he says, Typical Jew. Typical Jewish dick. You come here, you think you're going to get yourself good service here with the dentist. You're going to get yourself a free ride here. You think this is a free thing here. Chutzpah, he says, you have. I'm not only not giving you any kind of dentistry, I'm not only not going to look at your mouth even, I'm throwing you out. You're worthless. And he says, he takes the guy's papers, and he stamps him unaccepted. They won't accept his application. He discharged him. The whole Skype just died here. I don't know why. He discharged him. So, the fellow saw an open miracle. He came running back to 770. He wants to go into the Rebbe to thank the Rebbe. So the Gabbai said, you can't just go in and thank the Rebbe. As is, the Rebbe gives up so much time for people. If everybody that comes to the Rebbe and gets a bracha and a miracle goes back to thank the Rebbe, it's going to be double time. There'll be no time for anything. You want, write a letter to the Rebbe, thank you, and we'll take it into the Rebbe. And that's what he did. He wrote a letter. I don't know why everybody else got bounced off. Okay, one got one back. Everybody else ba- bounced off. I don't know why. He wrote a letter to the Rebbe thanking the Rebbe. And the Rebbe told the Maskin, this guy was a problem. This guy needed an open miracle to save him. Because he just didn't believe. gave him a bracha, it wasn't good enough, it wasn't enough for him. He needed an open miracle. So I had to perform an open miracle for him. We'll talk again after. And that's how the person understands how things have to work out. But we have to wonder, doesn't stop. We have to wonder sometimes, and we do wonder, and now that we're coming up to Gimel Tamas, same question comes up again and again. The Rebbe, here in this world, you asked for a bracha, you heard a bracha, you got a bracha. What now? 
There's a story a short time a while ago of a family losing Crown Heights. A guy gets a phone call from Metz Israel. In Hebrew, the woman asks him, Is this rabbi such and such? He says, Yeah. Rabbi, I have a problem. He says, Where are you calling me? It's a show. Why are you calling me? Listen to the problem. Our son came home and he's in love with the shiksa. Doesn't stop cutting off. Skype is a fella today. Hmm? No, my internet connection is, per- is excellent. Excellent. Son is in love with a shiksa. I don't know what to do. And um, no matter what we say, no matter what we do, he won't listen. We took him to all different rabbis and he doesn't want to hear. What's going to become him? He says, why are you calling me here to America? What am I going to do here in America with your son at the show? Well, the truth is, the other day we had a fight, a, a fallout, and he got so upset and angry, he left Israel. He took the shiksa and they went to New Jersey. And currently they're in New Jersey. So go in the shower and So now he says... Now he says, give me the guy's number. Let me see. Shkacha Pratis, he's calling me. I have no idea who you are, where you got my number, but calling me. Wow, this is nasty today. So, he calls the guy up. Shalom, this is Rabbi such and such. And he's talking to him in Hebrew, and the guy was excited to hear somebody speaking Hebrew. So they're talking, they talked and they talked and they got very friendly. After 10 minutes he tells the guy, listen, Rabbi, you're a great guy, I'd love to talk to you. You, you have a great conversation, great stories. I just want to tell you one thing. You give one word about my girlfriend, about my wedding, and everything else, I'm hanging the phone up, I won't take a call again. Yeah, you understood, that's that's taboo. One conversation, another conversation, another day, every second day, every third day, on a daily basis, he started calling the guy. But he avoided, he danced around, and danced around this whole story. Boy, the wedding date is getting closer. He's like, <laughs> great friends with the guy, but can not say anything? I'll say anything, lying up on me. He must take the answer myself. So he went to his father. And he said, Abba, Kachasipo. This guy, Israeli boy, wants to marry a shiksa, Maisa. I don't know what to do. The father said, Did you write to the Rebbe? He says, Oi, Abrach. No, I didn't write to the Rebbe. You write to the Rebbe. So what do you want? To, what do you expect? Really, he wrote to the Rebbe. 
and he put it in Igus Kedish. And the Rebbe wrote that every Jew has to have mezuzah on his door. Okay, every Jew has to have a voice, uh, has to have a mezuzah on his door. That's what he's going to do. He calls the guy up and tells him, "Habibi, yesh ham mezuzot." He says, "Didema? No, I don't have manyan. I don't even think about it." He says, mezuzot, you need right, this way, that, whatever you're doing, but you have to have mezuzah in your house. All right, I have uh, three doors. So I'm coming, I give me your address. Gives him his address, and the guy drives out to Jersey, and he comes to the guy's house, puts him up to mezuzah, make him bracha, make a ceremony out of it. The rabbi knows what he's doing, probably. Comes again. He gets a phone call from Cheski. Rabbi. So strange. This girl has become a different person. She doesn't stop. She started fighting and bickering and this and that. And the next day he calls her and says even worse. It's getting even worse. And then he calls and says she's fighting with me over the mezuzahs. Why do I have to have the mezuzahs on the door? What is this all about? Then one day he calls me and says, Rabbi, lose my number because I no longer live in this apartment. I came home and she took off my mezuzahs. I took the mezuzahs with me and I'm going to find myself another apartment. I'm finished with this girl. So we see, after Gimel Tavos, that the Rebbe has his control, has his way of taking care and taking on each and everything that we do. I read recently a story, because in this week's parasha we have so many different controversial mitzvahs. We don't understand which mitzvah is it, which mitzvah nefesh is it that's going to save our lives. In Hungary, 1936-37, the Hungarian Jews started hearing about the atrocities of the Nazis in Germany, and thought to themselves, eh, they're so far away from us, they're not going to bother us. The little boy, Eliyahu, was 10 years old at the time. Two years into the war, three years into the war, Machshemam Vizachram took over Hitler, took over Hungary, Hungary and all the Yidden and this little Eliyahu, the mitzvah boy, his family, were all taken to Auschwitz. As he left the house, Eliyahu grabbed his tool, put it in his pocket. When they arrived in Auschwitz, he started to see and to smell and to think what's going on over here. They said they needed for work, for labor, for this. They don't need for work. He saw right away this is Tzadus. So he quickly went to a corner, he rolled up his leg of his pants, and he wrapped around the twill around his leg, hoping that nobody will catch it. And lo and behold, he was able to get the twill into the camp. And where everybody else was sent to the right, to the left, he was sent to the right. And on a few selections, he was sent off to the right. Always wondering and curious what happens to those on the left, including his parents, etc., and finding out that the 
smokestacks at the end of the concentration camp was where they all went. Boyim. Whenever he got an opportunity, he would put on film and let people put on film. And he survived and survived and survived. Finally, when the end of the war was coming near, the Germans, Machshamam, tried to clean up their act. They tried to black, blacken out everything that they, no trace, no memory should be staying. They shouldn't get caught red-handed. So they evacuated Auschwitz. Couldn't just kill 25,000 people. So they took him a march. And this was quite a march now, but for a week's time they walked and walked and walked to a secluded area where there's another concentration camp. But it was well hidden. And they hoped that the Allies would not find it. But, being up against the wall, up against the gate, the Germans started cutting back on everything, including security. Everything was becoming very lax. Dogs were still there, the barbed wire was still there, the electric fences were still there. A lot of the soldiers were deserting their posts, they didn't want to get caught. They understood very well. They were caught doing these atrocities where they would be. Now, the O was walking around one day. And he sees behind the barracks, it looks like a uniform. And that night, he sneaks out of the barrack. He was tall for his age. And lo and behold, the uniform was from an SS officer. Put on the uniform. Put his tool in his pocket. Started marching. The guards didn't bother checking. They weren't interested in his papers or anything else. Another guy escaping. Leave. As soon as he got out of the gate, have to like the horses when they get out of the gate in the races. He booked it. And he ran and he ran and he ran and fell down and he ran and he fell down and he got up and ran and ran. He must have ran for a whole day. Finally he collapsed in the snow. Lying there he hears sound of engines, jeeps. And he said, Manavshach, if the Germans caught up with me, I'm finished. And if the Allies came, then it occurred to him as he heard the Allies talking, obviously not a foreign, not a, not German. They must have been Americans. He realized he's wearing an SS uniform. They're going to blow him out of the water. He has no way of explaining this. All of a sudden, before he could turn around, he was surrounded by American soldiers with guns in his head. They're barking, screaming, yelling at him. Get up. 
And he stands up, and immediately says, wait, and they say, empty your pockets. As he empties his pockets, he takes out his till. Takes out his till, and one of the sergeants, or whatever it was, a higher-ranking higher officer of the Americans, screams, the Bistayid, you're Jewish. He bursts out crying, he says, yeah. He says, Zog Shema Yisrael. He screamed out, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elekeinu, Hashem Echon. What more proof do you need that this is a Jewish boy? Immediately embraced him, he told everybody, put down your guns. And Elio survived the war. Elio moved to Israel, settled down, married, had a family. Apparently, though, that the tefillin being wrapped around his legs very tightly for these years on end did damage to the circulation in his, blood, in his leg and the doctors found no other solution but to amputate they'd have to Rechman al take his leg off he came to the hospital he was lying in the bed there the patient, they were treating the leg to see what they could give him, antibiotic, whatever it was and a scheduled operation. And lo and behold, in comes the surgeon, a major apicatus, atheist. And he says, Adon doctor, Adon Rafa, do me a favor. And he shows him his film. I want my film to come in with me to surgery. He says, are you crazy? It's insanitary. It's dirty. It's not bringing such things into the operating room. You're no away. You want? Put them on now. And you can bring God with you into the operating room. We let God in. It's not a problem. He's making fun. God can come in his own way. Kids said, started crying, bowling. And he told the doctor about these films. He told them how they survived the Holocaust. They went through Auschwitz. And he told them how he was almost shot to death wearing an SS uniform. And he took his children out and they saved his life, Begoli. This Apicarius doctor heard these words. Started to tremble. Couldn't believe what he was hearing. And he turns to the Elio. And he says, the Seri Tova, do me a favor. Put these twillin on me. I want to wear these twillin. The Apicarius took the twillin and put them on. Said Shema. Immediately called in a nurse and said, bring a sanitary bag that they can seal. He put the twillin inside. And they went off to surgery. After the operation, the yo wakes up and he sees the doctor, he sees his tool right next to his face, his head. And the doctor is gleaming, he's smiling from ear to ear. And he says to him, Your children are right here, he tells him. And he says, And the operation was successful, we were able to save your leg. We didn't have to cut it off. They were able to fix whatever they had to fix. He says, I see the children protected you once again.
So we see how the Raya Neman, Moshe Rabbeinu, puts himself in position time and time again to save the Yidin, to do things for the Yidin, not just there, but in the future. And we find throughout this whole conversation that went on here, Saikachas Hamate, the Be'er Miriam in its own right, we see that the Be'er Miriam was taken away, the Eden cried. When the Ananiah covered, went away, nobody cried. Nobody knew if it came back or didn't come back even. What taka happened? The two Ananim, the Ananiah covered and the Ananim. The Ananim covered Eden from all six sides. And then I covered it just to show the Eden was so great. When Aaron was the Stalik, then I covered went with them, but that did nothing to the Eden. Amalek, in turn, thought when the Nani covered left them that they can now attack them. Little they know how smart they and stupid they really were. We find towards the end of the Pasha the story of the Eden again talking about Shonhara. And we have a story here where the snake is set loose. And the Pasik says, Vehoya, and it came to pass him, Noshach Hanochosh. If the snake bit as ish a person, Vihibit, and the person looked up on the Chashanachishes to the copper snake, Vehoya, and it survived. He lived. Snake went around biting people. And die, people were dying. People didn't look up, died. So the Chayda Vayihi should be a Sara, should be a sad time. What's the Vahoya, Vahoya, Loshan Simcha? Zakhman Dir Mefar should tell us a beautiful thing happened here. Vahoya, if the person was bit by the snake and then he looked up at the snake the cheshes v'choy he lived which means not only a person that was regular didn't have that got bit by the snake if a person was terminally ill if a person was a gracious he was dying from another illness from a sickness and the snake bit him and he looked at the nechash and the he was totally healed Vachoy, he was given a new life. That's Vachoy, that's the Lashon Simcha. So the it's a beautiful Simcha to the person. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to say, it escapes me. Um one more thing here is very important to bring out. Okay, I actually do not remember what it is.
I'll remember later, I guess. Okay.